Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We are wrapping up our hospitality series with this sermon, Hospitality and Boundaries, by Reverend Peter Yonker. We have come to the final uh, sermon in our hospitality series, and for this final sermon, I will be reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. So Mark 11, 15 through 19, that's found on page 1,577 in your pew Bible. And before I read that, let me just say a few things. Um, I think those of you who've been here know this, and, and visitors, this is my way of informing you. Over the seven or eight weeks we've been talking about hospitality, we've heard both from the Old Testament and from the New Testament all kinds of calls to hospitality and all kinds of examples of hospitality. Um, But maybe the strongest example of hospitality is our Lord himself. Jesus, who ate with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus, who welcomed little children on his knee. And Jesus, who went so far as to say that when you welcome the stranger and you feed the hungry, it's like you're welcoming and feeding me. So Jesus was very consistent in his call to hospitality and that it would be wide and wonderful hospitality. But did you know that there are at least two times in Scripture where Jesus kicks someone out of his house? There are at least two times in Scripture where Jesus gives the heave-ho to people in his father's house. One of those times to be fair to Jesus, was not an actual physical heave-ho, it was a story. And that was the parable of the wedding banquet in Matthew 22, Matthew's version. If you remember the story, after a great king had invited the usual people to his wedding banquet, and they had all refused, the king invites the riffraff. He invites people from the highways and the byways. In Matthew, it literally says he invites the good and the bad. So really wide hospitality. Everyone gets invited to the king's banquet. But during the wedding banquet, there's one guy who's not wearing the right clothes. And commentators agree that that image of not wearing the right clothes means that he's he's not clothed in the right deeds. He's not behaving in a way that's appropriate for the king's house or for the king's party. So the king confronts this poorly dressed, poorly behaving man And it says, casts him into the outer darkness. He gets kicked out of the party. So that's one of the times. Second time is the passage that I'm about to read. Listen. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I think it's reasonable to say that that, um, Jesus is a little less hospitable than we're used to in this passage. 
Why does Jesus do this? Why does he kick these people out of his house? Why does Jesus get rid of the moneylenders and the merchants and send them packing? When I was a kid, I thought that the answer to that question was because they were doing business in the temple and you weren't allowed to spend money or do business in church or in the temple. And that's part of it. But if you really want to know why Jesus is kicking out the merchants and the moneylenders, you've got to listen to what he shouts. You've got to listen to the Bible passage that he shouts as he overturns their tables. Jesus shouts words from Isaiah 56, Isaiah 56, verse 7. My father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations, he says. He's quoting a prophecy from Isaiah where the Lord expresses his desire that he doesn't just want the Jews to come to worship him, the Lord wants the Gentiles too. Gentiles too are supposed to come to Jerusalem and worship the Lord. That's the Father's desire for his house. And in fact, if you know the temple's architecture, you will know that that desire for the Father to have the Gentiles come in was expressed in the construction of the temple. The very outer court of the temple was the court of the Gentiles. So if you're a Gentile person, you wanted to worship the Lord, you could come into the court of the Gentiles, you could make sacrifices, you could pray, you could worship with the people of Israel. Usually but not on this particular day because what was in the court of the Gentiles? The moneylenders, the merchants, all of their stalls were jamming up the courts so the Gentiles couldn't come in and they couldn't worship. And that is why Jesus is so table-flipping mad. His father's will is that the Gentiles will be there. These moneylenders are controverting his father's will and so Jesus starts shouting scripture and taking names. That's why he drives them out. They are not living according to the patterns of the Father's house. This gets us into our topic for today. Shows us a really important aspect of Christian hospitality, and that's this. Good Christian hospitality has limits. Good Christian hospitality has boundaries. There is a place where good Christian hospitality will stop. And there are two boundaries for Christian hospitality that I want to share with you today. One of them is the boundary of character, and the other is the boundary of capacity. Boundary of character and the boundary of capacity. Our story is a great example of the hospitality boundary of character. When you come into the Father's house, when you enter into the Father's house to worship, you do not enter neutral territory you enter the Father's house. And the Father has a strong character. There are things that the Father loves, and there are things that the Father hates. There are ways the Father wants things done, and there are ways he does not want things done. And when you enter into his house, that character impinges upon you. The Father loves love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Father loves compassion. The Father loves hospitality. The Father hates cruelty and swaggering pride. The Father hates when our desires for sex or status or stuff eclipse our ability to love one another. Our Father hates vengefulness. 
all sorts of other things. So he has this strong character. And when you enter into his house, you sense that character. You know that character. And in fact, when you enter in his house, you know that that character isn't just there. It's meant to transform you, right? The Father wants to transform those who come into his house into his character so that they love what he loves and hate what they hate. So the welcome of the Father, Father's a wide welcome, but a strong character. And if you come into his house and you push against that character, you should expect to be challenged. That's the boundary of character. It's a boundary you see very clearly in Old Testament talk about hospitality, right? If you've been in the series, you know that the Old Testament is very clear that we're called to welcome the stranger and we're called to be quite extravagant in that welcome. So for instance, the the farmers had to leave the edges of their fields for the stranger. Um, They were supposed to allow the strangers to come and celebrate the festivals with them. Uh, They were supposed to have Sabbath like the rest of Israel. So there are all these sort of texts that show that the, the, the welcome is wide. Leviticus 19 is maybe a summary text. Listen. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as a native-born person. Love them as yourself. Wide welcome. But once they were in Israel, once they were in the house, they're expected to abide by all the laws of Israel. That's clear too. Listen. Leviticus 17.10. I will set my face, says the Lord, against any Israelite or foreigner residing among them who eats blood. Eating blood was strictly prohibited for Israelites. And foreigners ate blood, I will cut them off from the people. Numbers 9.14. A foreigner residing among you is also to celebrate the Lord's Passover. Okay, they're welcome. In accordance with its rules and regulations, you must have the same regulations for both native-born and foreigners. And then number 15, a kind of summary text. The same laws and regulations will apply both to you and the foreigner who resides among you. So, all the foreigners are welcome, but when they come in, the laws and the ways of the Father impinge on them. God is wide in his welcome, but strong in his character. And if you push against the character of God when you come into his house, you should expect to be challenged. The boundary of character. Ultimately, I think, strong character makes for a better welcome. Strong character makes for better hospitality. That's certainly how it works in friendship. Sometimes when people are young, kids are young, and their, their sense of their identity and character is just forming, one of the ways they try to get friends and try to get people to like them is they become like social chameleons, right? Who do you want me to be? I'll be whoever you want me to be. I'll pretend to be athletic. I'll pretend to be artsy. Whoever you want me to be, I'll be that for you so that you will like me, right? And so what's happening when a kid does that? They're all welcome and no character. How do kids like that do socially? Not well. Because ultimately, we are attracted to people with strong character. People with strong passions who know who they are. Free friendship advice for all the younger people here who are in your identity formation, your character formation time. Don't be afraid to have character. What I mean by that is, love what you love, even if it's odd, And don't pretend to love something you don't love 
for the sake of someone else. Love what you love and don't pretend to love something you don't love. If you love Mongolian throat singing, if you think, Mon this is a real thing, if you think Mongolian throat singing is just the best thing ever, tell your friends about Mongolian throat singing. Don't be afraid. Send them your Mongolian throat singing playlist. They will think you are really strange, but they will also be attracted to you because you will have character, identity. And ultimately, that's, that's what it means to be a healthy, individuated person. Right? A healthy person is someone who has wide welcome and strong character. That's Jesus. Jesus would welcome anyone. Jesus would sit down with anyone. He'd talk with anyone. He'd have dinner with anyone. But when you were with him, he was always his father's son. That's also the mark of a hospitable church. I hope that LaGrave is a church that will welcome absolutely anyone through those doors, no matter what they look like, no matter what they smell like, no matter what their politics is. But when they come here, I hope they will find a community of Jesus Christ and his ways and his character. That's the first boundary, the boundary of character. The second boundary is the boundary of capacity. Capacity. One of the best books I read over the summer about hospitality uh, was a book called Making Room by Christine Pohl. It was the most academic of all the books I read. Um, she went through all of church history and all the Bible passages looking at how the church had practiced hospitality through the ages. And she was very pro-hospitality. She really wanted churches to practice hospitality, but in the middle of her book, she told this cautionary tale. Years back, she had joined a church that decided it was going to be all hospitality all the time, that everything it did was going to be about helping its neighbors outside their doors. And this church absolutely poured itself into this. They, they brought in hundreds of refugees. They fed and clothed all kinds of poor people in their neighborhood. They made it a rule that no one who came to the door and asked for something would be sent away. They gave and they gave and they gave and they gave. And Christine Paul said, for a few years, it was wonderful. And then it wasn't. The ministers burnt out. The congregation members burnt out. The money ran out and the church fell to pieces. And here's how Christine Paul self-diagnoses the problem. Under the pressures of the needs all around us, we were not careful to nourish our own lives. Or to put guidelines in place, boundaries of capacity, that made sure workers had added rest and renewal. The boundary of capacity. A healthy Christian person practices hospitality, but you can't be hospitality all the time. God is infinite, you are not. You need rest recreation. A healthy church practices wonderful sacrificial hospitality to its neighbors, but hospitality isn't the only thing a healthy church does. A healthy church does many things. A healthy church takes care of each other, weeps with those who weep, rejoices with those who rejoice, educates its children, worships its Lord in a meaningful way. Hospitality is part of what we do, but it can't be all of what we do. The boundary of capacity Something you see in Scripture. 
Already in the early church, they were coming up against the boundary of capacity. You see it in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6 and following. In the Thessalonian church, Paul realizes that there's some of Christians who are freeloading. They're coming into the community, they're getting the hospitality, they're living with people, they're eating at their table, but they are contributing nothing. And Paul says, you've got to challenge these people. Such people should settle down and earn the food they eat, says Paul. Keep away from such people. Observe the boundary of capacity. We all contribute. Now, this is tricky. Because given our sinful nature, our tendency is to use the excuse of the boundary of capacity to set our limits very narrowly and say, oh, I can't possibly help with this or help with that. I don't have the capacity John Calvin warns about that. He writes this, he says, Let us beware that we seek not cover for our stinginess under the shadow of prudence. In other words, don't use your boundary of capacity as an excuse not to help people. John Calvin was actually really big on hospitality. I don't know if you knew that. Calvin wrote a lot about hospitality. During Calvin's time in Geneva, There was actually a refugee crisis. Protestant refugees from France and from England were leaving persecution, and they were going to Geneva, which was a safe place. In uh, 1538 and 1539, 10,657 travelers and strangers were treated at Geneva's hospital. It's in two years, 10,657 people. That's a significant refugee issue. Some of the people in Geneva were not very pleased with this and worried about their resources. Calvin called the people of Geneva to be welcoming. And he did it on the basis of the fact that all these people were made in the image of God. He didn't call Geneva to welcome them because they were Christians or Protestants. He called them to welcome because they were made in the image of God. So his hospitality was not based on redemption, but on creation if you understand what I mean by that. Here's something he wrote. If there comes to our door some moor or barbarian, so even a non-Christian person, since he is a man, he brings a mirror in which we are able to contemplate that he is our brother and our neighbor. In other words, we need to help these people. Calvin's commitment to hospitality was not just based on the image of God, it was based on his own experience. Calvin had been a refugee. 1533 and 1534, he was on the run, persecuted. He had to leave France. And that was so traumatic for him that I read this week that he said this, there were times when I wanted to die to be rid of my fears. Calvin knew the power and the need for hospitality. It's a balance, of course. There are limits, and there are needs for welcome, and we're always treading between those two things. Let me finish this morning um, with one more question about our passage, and this is the end of our entire series, so let's end here. Jesus kicks the moneylenders and the merchants out of the temple. Was there anything hospitable about that act? Could Jesus throwing out the moneylenders be construed as an act of hospitality? The answer to that question is yes. 
Because even as he was throwing out the money changers, he was trying to make room. He was trying to make room for the Gentiles and for those outsiders. So the passion that drove Jesus to turn over those tables is the same passion that caused him to open his arms on the cross to welcome all the Gentiles and every tribe and nation into the family of God. Because on the cross, when Jesus opened his arms, he didn't just open the court of the Gentiles. He blew the doors off the entire temple. What happened when Jesus gave up his last breath? The curtain of the temple is torn in two so that all of the people, the Gentiles, the Jews, the sinners, the doubters, the money changers, the merchants, the beloved children of God could walk right into his presence and live before his face. Thanks be to God. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you again, as we do every week, for what you sacrificed so that we could live at peace with one another and live at peace in your presence and in the Father's presence. Lord, we pray that that grace and that love will sink deep into us so that as we go out into the world this week, um, we may be hospitable people who, who recognize the boundaries, who show your love and your character, and uh, Lord, who make your name wonderful in this world. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.